20 and the first part of Psalm 122, which we just sang. Psalm 120 says this, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And then jumping ahead to Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, to the tribes of the Lord, to, the, to praise the name of the Lord, according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. This is God's word. All right, so go back to the children's message today, and so maybe relive memories for some of you, but that song, uh, one of these things is not like the others, one of these things just doesn't belong. How many of you remembered that song? All right, I figured most of you would. Um, it's one thing for that song to be a Sesame Street song. It's one thing for it to be a kid's song. It's a whole nother thing, though, when it's our song, when it's the theme of our life. You know, I, I usually uh, warn, or when we, we work with Vicar and his sermons, Vicar's preaching at Shepherd of the Mountains today, by the way, but as we work through his sermons on a, on a basis, I always, we warn, I said, make sure we don't talk about generalizations, you know, we should never say, well, you all know this, or you all know that, or you all know this, because we don't all know things, but this one, this one, I think we can all agree with. It's not a stretch to say we all know what it's like not to belong at some point of our life. You know, psychologists uh, say there's maybe some of you have seen this chart. This is the hierarchy of needs. And right there it is, smack dab in the middle, our need for love and belonging. And so I want you to think about maybe one was the last time you felt like you didn't belong. Maybe it was way back in first grade when nobody sat with you on the bus. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it's today as you sit here in worship. Think about when you didn't belong. Think about how you felt when you didn't belong. When we don't belong... It, it hurts, doesn't it? It, it, it? it frustrates us. It makes us angry, maybe at times. It, it causes pain. It maybe even causes just this lot of internal pressure uh, right down to our, our very soul. That's really what the psalmist also felt. In Psalm 120, those, those opening words of this, this psalm of ascent, that I'm talking about. So again, Psalms 120 to 134, this was their playlist that they would always sing three times a year on the way to worship. But you, you see the pain in, in maybe there were some words in the, that opening psalm that I read earlier that you're like, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, here's the basic theme is he says, I don't, I don't feel like I belong. In fact, the way he puts it is, I call on the Lord in my distress. And, and there's lying lips 
are all around me, and there's deceitful tongues all around me. And then he mentioned some cities or countries before, and he says, it's like, man, I move up north, and I don't fit in there, and I, and I, don't, I move down south, and I don't fit in there, and, and it, it doesn't matter where I go. It's like I can never find a fit. Uh, I, you know, I, I want peace, and my, my neighbors want war. It's just there's nowhere for me. And yet you really don't have to be the psalmist to experience that. I, I, you know, I, I think that's us. It's, it's being a believer in an unbelieving world. Is maybe more and more where you feel like you don't fit. I mean, we turn on the news and, and we don't know whether or not to believe it, right? We, we even dub it a name, fake news. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Or, or we, we get cynical, maybe, when someone asks us for help. Do they really need assistance, or are they just looking for a quick buck? Uh, we, we maybe we listen to, or we hear about some, some social programs that are being offered, but they, they seem to fly in the face of scriptures, and we just say, this, this, we don't fit. We lament. Just last week, I was, uh, there was a lady in our parking lot. She stopped me. I was walking into the office, and she pulled up with her Cadillac, and, and, and she was just lamenting how, you know, you, man, it's so hard. You can't find a Bible-based preaching anymore, and you can't find Bible-based morals anymore. And then she said a word that really echoes the word of the psalmist. She said, I just don't fit in. Now, I'd love to tell you she jumped out of her car when I said, well, come on in. Um, God willing, maybe someday uh, she will. But the psalmist, the psalmist does jump off his camel when he hears of other people who share what he believes and who wants to worship him. So all of Psalm 120 is, is the, this lamenting aspect. But then you jump ahead two, two chapters later, and this is what he says, I rejoiced. I finally found someone. Huh? I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Whenever I hear that, that rather familiar psalm verse, I, I think of two things. One, I used to serve at a church, my first church where I was assigned out of seminary. These words were painted right over the doorframe uh, going into that church. But I also think, and I, I know I've shared this story before, some, most of you have probably heard it, but when, when we were in Israel in, in 2008, uh, Mary and I were sh- shopping for souvenirs, and, and there's uh, the vendor, the Middle Eastern man, sitting behind the, the counter, and all of a sudden, another Middle Eastern family walks in. And those two start talking in a language we can't understand. But then all of a sudden, it, it becomes apparent, they find out that they're both Christians. And you should have just seen the tears come down the vendor's face, and he jumps out from behind the counter, and he gives this whole family a hug, and he, he gets his pictures taken with them, because you see, it was so, the, the percentage possibility of finding two Christians, Jerusalem today is less than 2% Christian, even less in their ethnicity, and, and so they were just like, couldn't believe it, yes, I found a Christian, they understood the beauty of us, of let us go to the house of the Lord. That they felt a sense of belonging. And I pray that you do as well. That I pray that you cherish 
of the people that you are with here today. You belong with these people. You belong here. And yet the joy, the ultimate lasting joy is not found in just escaping a place where you don't belong, nor is ultimate lasting joy found when you find other people with whom you belong. What brought the psalmist unbridled joy? Yes, he was happy about the us, that he found someone else that he could worship with. But what brought him unbridled joy was not whom he was with, It was where they were going. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go and worship. Come and worship. You know, whenever I I think about that theme, uh, what what we're looking at over the next seven weeks, actually, we're going to be looking at these psalms. And I, I mentioned this is their playlist, all right? Uh, Three times a year, the worshipers had to go on a pilgrimage. The major festivals, they had to go to Jerusalem, to the temple. In between weeks, they would go to the local synagogue. But three times a year, they head out. And for most of them, most of the the Jews in Israel, this would have meant about a 100-mile trip. Uh, Coming from up north, you can see that's called the Sea of Galilee up north. And then you could pick any route you wanted, the green route, the white route, or the red route. And, and all of them, it's about 100 miles. And, and called Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem was the highest point of the country. So you'd always be going up to Jerusalem. Just like we always go up to Tahoe, they always went up to Jerusalem. So it's about 100 miles. Now, I, I thought about that. You know, tomorrow, once a month, uh, the area pastors, we, we travel to Penryn for a circuit pastor meeting. It's about 100 miles, right? And I'm always relieved Every time we get over the pass and we get safely there. About the same distance. But imagine how relieved they would be compared to me, right? I mean, we're in a car. Even if we have to use chains, they're walking. But when they get there, they are not just filled with joy because their long journey is over through terrain similar to ours. They're filled with joy from what they're about to experience. As they climb over that last hill and they would see their temple, they would see Solomon's temple. You heard about Solomon in our first lesson today. This beautiful architectural masterpiece and, and, and the, the, you know, plated with gold. And then they would hear the, the festive trumpets blaring. And then they would see this, this bronze altar 30 by 30 by 15 feet high. And then uh, they would see a lamb sacrificed on top of that altar, and the priest would remind them that lamb was for your sins. Worship. Worship would never get old for them as they were filled with joy making this trek. Or I think of, every time I I think of this come and worship, maybe, yeah, we think of those Old Testament worshipers, or we think of these wise men that we're celebrating today. A wise man... We don't know exactly where they originated from. Uh, we have some pretty good educated guesses that they were about 500 miles to the east. So that's not from here to Penryn, that's from here to Vegas, about, right? 
And, and they, too, imagine this long trip that would have taken for months. And, and finally, when they get where they see that star, I don't know if you heard it in Matthew, they were overjoyed when they saw that star. But again, their joy was not just because their journey was over. Their joy was what they were about to experience. They, weren't, they were going to the house of the Lord, but a different house of the Lord. Solomon's house of the Lord temple by this point had been destroyed but do you remember how Matthew put it on coming to the house of the child they saw the child in the house of the Lord they bowed down and worshipped him imagine their joy now I, I don't know how to even compare it I, I think of maybe some of you have experienced this if, if you've ever been a grandparent who traveled cross country to see your your first grandbaby. And I can imagine maybe if you got there while the child is still in the hospital and what do you do? You stop at the gift store and you, and you buy all the balloons and all these gifts and you, you go up to the maternity ward and you knock on that door and you, you, you walk in and maybe you see your, your grandbaby being held by your, your daughter and, and all of a sudden the tears just you know well up in grandma's eyes or the you know, grumpy grandpa all of a sudden has an uns unerasable smile on his face. Imagine the joy. Well, these guys aren't just going cross-country to see a grandbaby. They're going cross-countries to see their God. Imagine the joy that just must have welled up in their hearts and in their faces as they presented their gifts, as they worshipped their newborn king. This whole picture of of the wise men traveling, I, I mentioned earlier, we call that epiphany. Epiphany is a fancy word that simply means to appear or to reveal or to uncover. In fact, I know a lot of churches are, are in a sermon series right now called Uncovered because as Jesus is uncovered as the Savior of the nations, he is uncovering a whole bunch of gifts, mercy and peace and joy and forgiveness. And over the next seven weeks, we are going to get to uncover, we're going to get to unwrap uh, those gifts as well. What a joy to worship. And yet, when I compare their worship to ours, you know, when I see, okay, I'm, we're going to preach on come and worship, and we think of these people walking 100 miles or 500 miles, the dedication, giving up jobs, costing a lot of money, I kind of feel ashamed because I complain about driving 6.4 miles to worship. You know, this is the furthest I've ever lived from my church. Like, man, just last week I said to Kale, oh, I wish we lived so close. You know, and some of you drove 34.7, some of you drove 49.7 miles to get here today. And I feel ashamed that you guys drove five times more than I did. And yet you compare our worship to them. You're like, man, look at their dedication that it took for them to get there. And yet that doesn't really move my heart, does it? I mean, yeah, okay, some of you drove 35 or 50, but the point is we all drove. We all had cars with heat on them. We all maybe had a a Bluetooth where we could listen to our own playlist on the way here. None of you tented, as far as I know, last night. 
on the way to get here. And so, but if I just say, well, come on. If they did it, you can come and worship, right? You see, come and worship is not so much a command that God gives to us as much as it's an invitation. He wants to unwrap for you the same gifts that he gave to them every week. That as those pilgrims came 100 miles over hills, you know, and when they got over that last hill and they saw that temple, they were like, ah, there's our sanctuary. There's our safe place. So too is whatever direction you came from, whatever hill you crossed over here, and you came down into Red Rock, you find here in this sweet, your sweet, sweet sanctuary. A place where you can be safe. Maybe not always physically safe. Sometimes we perch someone by the door just to keep, keep an eye on the parking lot. But this is your spiritually safe sanctuary. Where, where God shows up for you to protect you. You know, as we, as we fight through life, as, as the devil shoots his, his fiery arrows of accusation at us, what happens in worship? God puts up that shield, what we call the absolution. He says, oh no, you're forgiven all of your sins. Or, or maybe you have your enemy, your, your old self, which wants to rear its ugly head and make your, just wreak havoc on your life again and again and again, and you come here, and what do you find in safety? You go back to the waters of your baptism, you're reminded, ah, that old self is drowned, as we hear every week in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You know, you, you think of the wise men, and, and, and how the, the joy that they found as they were able to, to see that that Savior of the world, wrapped in flesh. You get that same gift here. You don't see that Savior of the world wrapped in flesh. You, you see him wrapped in ink on the pages of Scripture. You see him wrapped in the elements of Holy Communion. He says, hey, this is me. This is me. I'm here for you. You know, that is... Such, such a blessing that you and I get to see. I mentioned in the, the weekly email that I send out, the weekly ray, that this week I got a new devotion book. It's, it's, um, I'm pretty stoked about it. I've only read four or five of the devotions so far. Uh, it's called Our Worth to Him. If you want a copy, see me, I can give you a link. But I love how the, the author described worship in the, in the preface. He said, uh, to cross the threshold of a church is to step into another world. This thing we call Lutheran worship is a word-saturated and Christ-obsessed country. Forgiveness of sins is the only sun in that sky. You and I can learn to see things in this light. It is like nowhere else in this world. And this is what really just kind of struck me this time is, and it's all for you. All for you. 
You know, so often when I think about or I hear the theme, whether I'm preaching or whether I'm sitting in the chair having it preached to me and I hear come and worship, I think of it as an action word, something I must do. In fact, oftentimes that's how I teach it in starting point class. I say, think of, think of worship as God is the audience and we're the performer. And there's an aspect of that. But what happens when we worship, when we ascribe worth to God? That's what worship means. I mean, you are ascribing worth to God by the energy and the gas that it took to get here today. Are you ascribed to worth to God when you sing your praises? You ascribe worth to God when you scan that QR code and give your gift. But what happens? All of the worth that we ascribe to God falls short. Every note that we sing, every check that we sign, can't adequately show how much he is worth. But what doesn't fall short here is God ascribing our worth to him. That the reason he set up a thing called church, a reason why he set up a thing called worship, is because he wants to come to you again and again and again. That's how much we are worth to him. If you're finding distress out there, he says, find rest in here. When you're fighting wars out there, he's offering peace in here. When you're being fed lies out there, he's serving truth in here. So yeah, come and worship. That's the theme that you're going to hear for the next six, seven weeks. And I'm not going to beat it over your head. I sent out a text this week, and I sent out emails this week. Hey, we want you to come and worship. I'm not going to club you with that. I'm not going to motivate you by putting a little worship chart on the door, by the door, and you get a star by your name every time you're here. I will pray, though. I will pray that you come and worship every week, whether it's here or if you have to online. And I'll share with you the promises of what God says about worship, that he says, you belong to me, therefore you belong with me. You may not be like the others, but this, this is a place where you belong. So come. Come and worship. Amen.